I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Janine Chastain. We're collaborating on curated conversations to explore how the industry is changing. Together, we'll find ways to create new solutions to current challenges while elevating the value of architects. Welcome Welcome to to Practice Practice Disrupted. Hello, listeners. Hi, Janine. Hey, Evelyn. So this next conversation that we're hoping to dive into really talks about leadership and supporting that next generation of leadership. Janine, since you were really quintessential to pulling this particular group together around leadership development, and especially since this whole idea of next generation of leaders has been an important part of your ongoing contributions to the AIA, but also a catalyst for some of the work that you are wanting to do with Apostrophe Consulting. Why don't you talk to us about your view on why this is so important and prevalent right now? I think a lot of my interest in leadership development stems from my involvement with the American Institute of Architecture Students and the AIA. So early on, for those who don't know, I was really active with the AIAS. And when I got out of school, I immediately got involved with the AIA. My time with both organizations taught me a lot about the value that young designers can have in sharing their leadership at an early age. And yet when I started working for architecture firms, I was really shocked to see that young designers had a tendency to be quiet, dutiful, and they either maybe felt like they couldn't speak up or they weren't sure how to. I'm not sure. I I think I've seen a variation of both. But ultimately, it seemed like there was a lack of participation where people were maybe not even being shown how to speak up in their firms. And that has really bothered me because I think that it's a missed opportunity and that we're missing a lot of really great ideas from young designers coming into firms. And of course, not only in firms, but out in their projects and into society. So I've been interested in creating programs through the AIA that showed next generation leaders how to do, how to use their voice and implement change, basically. And that started with a lot of the programs that I worked on with the AIA and through my volunteer work. And then ultimately, I ended up helping to design a national leadership program for the AIA called the AIA Leadership Institute. But now in my consulting work, I'm trying to figure out how to teach firms how to bring that leadership development piece into practice so that they can provide continuing education internally to their staff to talk about leadership development and how young designers can show up and what that looks like and when it's appropriate. And just helping the next generation find their voice is really important to me. And I think that's not only true, frankly, of young designers, but I would say there are the majority of mid-career professionals even struggle with that as well. I think we might have two different definitions of what the next generation of leadership is, but I, I think it's, for me, the collective next generation leadership is just the future of the profession. I agree. I think the more that I started doing leadership development work, I realized that everyone struggles with it. And it's not just the young designers in firms, it's everyone. I mean, all the way up to firm management, architects in general, I think are 
they're really strong leaders in many capacities. And we've talked about this before on the show, but in some areas they struggle and there are some really common ways that they struggle. Agreed. So what are you hoping we get out of the conversation with our guests and what themes would you like our listeners to be paying attention to? The primary focus of this episode is to underscore the importance of leadership development and architectural practice. It's something that we shouldn't be ignoring. Uh, We should spend time on talking about leadership development with our staff. And the team that we're invited have been very instrumental in developing various leadership development programs that are specifically designed for architects and designers. And they're going to be explaining what leadership development is, what skills are most commonly missing for architecture studios, and how firms can support leadership development in their studios. So we're going to start by diving into the three different leadership programs we are hearing from today, as well as the individuals who founded them or continue to build upon the foundation that they have previously developed. The Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program Beginning in 2013, the AIADC chapter undertook an initiative to develop a program which would help train and nurture the next generation of leaders. With the success of the previous program years, the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program looks to secure a promising new faction of scholars in 2020 and 2021. The year-long program consists of nine individual half-day sessions attended by a competitively selected group of 16 emerging professionals. And just for listeners' sake, a definition of an emerging professional within the AIA is defined as someone who has graduated from college with an architectural degree and is within 10 years of their first licensure. Prospective participants must go through an application process for selection where proven career success, community involvement, and an individual's firm support will be considered. Ryan McEnroe is an associate at Quinn Evans in Washington, D.C. As both a licensed architect and landscape architect that grew up on an organic farm, Ryan has a unique understanding of sustainability practices. With his 13-plus years of professional experience, Ryan allows his firm to embrace a wide range of project types and has spoken and written extensively on how agriculture can serve as an amenity. He is a co-founder and past chair of the AIADC Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program and currently serves as the 2020 chair for the National AIA Young Architects Forum. He has been recognized with the AIADC Emerging Architect Award in 2014, an AIA Young Architects Award, ENR Mid-Atlantic Top Professionals Award, BD plus C 40 and 40, and the AIAS Emerging Professional Honor Award, all in 2018. The second leadership program that we're going to be discussing is called AIA Forefront. The vision of AIA Forefront is to inspire, empower, and engage architects and emerging professionals so that they become effective leaders serving at the forefront of society's most pressing challenges. This virtual event brings together visionary speakers on individual, civic, and professional leadership for the architectural profession. So for those who know, I was very involved in the original launch of this program back in 2015. And since then, over 1,700 architects and designers have participated, and over 15 AIA components have been involved. The program has always had a digital element, and this year will be the first year it goes entirely virtual. So by participating in this program, you can expect to get inspiration from industry leaders, 
learn from their talents and their influence and how they positively impact their communities, revolutionize the industry, and advocate for positive change in their companies. You can also learn how design professionals leverage their unique positions to lead towards a sustainable future in the built environment. And last but not least, you can build strategic leadership skills in interactive workshops on leadership planning and execution, conflict resolution and negotiation, and organizational leadership. And the guest that we've invited to speak on behalf of the Forefront team is Corey White. Corey White brings an open-mindedness and creativity to her role as an architect and urban planner. She applies her dual master's degrees in architecture and urban and regional planning to an interdisciplinary approach that creates impactful outcomes for her clients and the community. Corey currently works for DLR Group in Chicago, and she's focused primarily on educational facilities master planning for K-12 school districts. In 2018, Corey stepped into the co-chair role for the AIA Leadership Institute, guiding the vision and programming for the One Day National Leadership Conference. With her co-chair, Sarah Walgren Wingo, they revamped what is now known as Forefront, a one-day virtual event that will provide leadership training for architects at all career levels, regardless of their area of practice. Corey is recognized for her leadership within the architectural community. Recently, she was elected to the AIA Strategic Council as an at-large representative for 2021 and 2022, and has been awarded the AIA Young Architects Award, the BD Plus C 40 Under 40, and the AIA Colorado Leadership Award. And as a side note, I'm really proud of Corey because she recently started her MBA program and has been awarded a scholarship through the Forte Foundation uh, for her academic achievement. And so I'm wishing her great success this fall semester. The third program that we're going to look at is the AIA New York Civic Leadership Program, or CLP. The AIA New York Civic Leadership Program, CLP, develops a class of emerging architectural professionals into civic leaders by refining the critical skills that design professionals need to better represent the people that they serve. They do this by increasing architects' connections to their communities, developing their advocacy capacities, and supporting their pursuit of public service in elected or appointed office. Each year, the CLP selects 10 emerging AIA members to participate in a six-month journey to improve their community outreach and public relations skills, strengthening the AIA New York's culture of advocacy by providing opportunities to interface with municipal agencies, community development organizations, and local stakeholders. The founder of Equity CoLab, Kavitha partners with organizations to research, identify, and implement strategies that foster a more equitable and diverse workplace. She has a wide range of experience, both as an architect and advocate for equity in the profession. Kavitha currently works at the AIA New York chapter. Her varied background allows her to view the practice from different perspectives, including practicing architect, consultant, client, and an advocate working directly with professionals to address the change they would like to see in the workplace and the profession. As Director of Leadership and Engagement Initiatives at AIA New York, Kavitha oversees programs intended to provide opportunities for members to move beyond their daily work lives to interface with diverse communities, engage in the civic realm, and connect with students who may not be familiar with architecture as a career. In addition, she liaises with chapter leadership and local officials on advocacy efforts involving issues related to design professionals and the built environment. 
This position was created for her after she approached the organization and expressed concern for the lack of equity and representation in the profession. She sought to implement programs that went beyond the traditional focus of professional organizations to elevate the social conscious and expand the mission of architects. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Architecture from the University of Virginia, as well as a Master of Architecture degree from Columbia University. Let's cut to our conversation. The three of you have all been involved in some of the most interesting leadership development programs for architects and designers in the country. And that's really why I wanted to have this discussion today, because I think that the three of you offer so much knowledge about not only how to teach architects leadership skills, um, but what those skills are that they need to know. And you've designed interesting approaches on how to deliver that content. So I think the next question to go into is if each of you could explain the model of your program, because they're all very diverse, and um, how you build leaders through those programs. So the Civic Leadership Program at AIA New York began, um, actually was started through our Emerging Architects Committee, which is called ENYA, Emerging New York Architects. It was an idea that I think was really inspired and started right after the 2016 election and um, things that happened (laughs) as a result of that and wanting to, some of the members of the committee and leadership of that committee really wanting to have a program that um, allowed architects to pursue advocacy and political action, elected office potentially, or community engagement in a much deeper way than they thought was available. So actually the model, we looked at Christopher Kelly program uh, back then, I believe they they used it as one of the models that they started it from, but it turned out to be this incredible journey where they accepted 10 uh, applicants from a pretty intense application process to become uh, the 20, the first class. And they have a six month uh, sort of fellowship program where We take them through, uh, pair them up for development sessions. So there's five different development sessions monthly that each pair puts on. And then in the end, there's two public programs that they do in groups of five. So um, they explore all sorts of issues pertinent to architecture, the built environment, but also to society at large, you know, anywhere from sustainability, affordable housing, um, to things. Recently, we had a program uh, focused on justice, and it was very broadly spoken about with different perspectives. And I, th- I think that the members each year get to get get to really explore that. It's very self-led. So after that first year, no one was quite sure how to run it. And that's when I came in. And um, we decided that the leaders from the first year should lead the next year. So five of them became the advisors who actually really shaped the next program, um, gave feedback, told them what, told us what they thought could be better. And we went with it. So really with a little bit of a guiding hand, it's a very, very much self-led program. It is free for members, which we think is really important. So it's, it's open to, to everyone who's an AI member. And, um, you know, we try to get a diverse group of, of applicants and of thoughts and of ideas. So I am speaking to the Leadership Institute, which is now known as Forefront today. And um, it's a bit of a different model than I think the other programs we'll hear about. And it is run through AIA National. It was 
started um, in 2015, and I have to say that Janine was uh, instrumental in kicking that off and creating the program. And so I am honored to have taken it over from her leadership and um, watched it grow into the program that it, it is and that we're hoping it will be again today uh, or this year. But uh, it's a little bit different in that it's a one-day learning experience. And so it's actually a conference um, that the AIA puts on for its members, and it's open to non-members as well. Um, the model that was originally created was that it was broadcast from one uh, location, and that was Washington, that has traditionally been Washington, D.C., to our partner locations, which are run out of local AIA components across the United States. And the idea is, is that it is a one-day leadership conference that is affordable and accessible to membership across the United States without having to ask them to travel to one location um, for leadership training and development. And so it's been in a variety of cities. I'm sure some of you listening out there have heard of it or seen it or even participated in it at your local component because it's hit quite a few cities over the years. So the Leadership Institute, as it was nationally or formally known, is really focused on bringing fundamental skills to leaders or to emerging professionals and architects, regardless of their career level. And over the past year, we have surveyed um, the AIA membership to understand what are they really seeking out in leadership training? What are some of the gaps that don't exist in other programs? And how can we best serve the membership and give them the skills that they're needing to run the best practices possible to advocate in their communities as citizen architects in the best way possible, and really to to promote and advance the profession as a place for leaders in the best way possible. And so we have revamped it a little bit this year and not only on our own accord, but also the world sort of did that for us when it hit us with um, a global pandemic. And I'd say the advantage we have is that it was created as a digital conference back in 2015 and intentionally. And so we've been testing and using interactive technological tools to increase interaction and promote engagement through a virtual platform since its inception. And so we really leaned on that back in February when we made the decision to go to an all virtual conference event recognizing we've already become really adept at using the tools. And so it is no longer centered in one location. We actually increased our virtual participation in 2018 immensely. And so we saw the opportunity to broadcast this program even further beyond five locations. And so it will be all virtual this year. The date is October 30th. And we are really aiming to engage, empower, and inspire architects at all levels of their career to become leaders that we so need right now. That's great to hear. Um, the Leadership Institute has continued virtually, so that's great to hear about Forefront, Corey. Uh, so the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program started in Washington, D.C. as part of the, the AIA chapter here uh, in 2013. Uh, and it, it actually started later than a number of other leadership development programs that started really as part of the last recession. 
AIA had made a big push in 2008, 2009 to ask their local components, their local chapters to uh, provide leadership opportunities for emerging architects and, and, and young professionals. Uh, and a number of programs got off the ground and had done a nice start at that, specifically um, the ELA program out of AIA Virginia, Cincinnati um, Visions, uh, Kansas City Pillars has been recognized quite a bit, um, the Dallas Leadership Program. And so what, what we did in DC, Sean Stadler and I founded this program together. And Kavitha, similar to your transition planning, Sean and I founded the program. We are not very heavily involved anymore from a day-to-day -day standpoint, um, which honestly was one of the first things that we said is like, great, we're going to start this, but how do we, how do we roll off? Um, and it is that next, it is that same, you know, that the graduates, the alumni that follow through the year after, and they have the, the energy and the ambition to kind of keep things relevant from year to year. Um, but what we, what we did is we kind of took the cream of the crop from each of those four programs that I had mentioned and made it specific to DC, what's going to work for DC. And ultimately, we developed a, a curriculum and, uh, it, you know, so it's a year-long program and it consists of nine individual half-day sessions for 16 emerging professionals. And it, it is selective. Uh, we, you know, we do want strong applicants to take part in it because it is really self-led. Uh, it, it's very much what you put in the program is what you're going to get out of it. Uh, and we have, the, we have the scholars pair up and they actually develop and present a, a half-day session. Uh, so they meet every, they meet, they tend to meet the first Friday of every month and the two scholars will kind of lead that, that session. So they find sponsorship for it. They find the speakers, they find the venue, they take care of the catering. And we're there as a big safety net, as an advisory committee to help them through all of that, make sure the learning objectives are correct and make sure that the content's right. And that, uh, and ultimately it comes a little competitive where they can try and kind of outdo one another from, from one, one month to the next. And the curriculum itself is focused on things that um, like firm management and entrepreneurship, uh, uh, business development, um, the art of negotiation, the future of the practice, things that we as leaders need to be, we need more conversation about. And especially as young architects, we just don't get that in the day-to-day -day in, the, in the practice. So this is an opportunity to, it's not a deep dive. It's just, it, it's just a kind of even coverage in firm, institute, and community leadership. Um, so it's kind of a, I'd say it's like a 201. It's not a 101 class. It's like a 201 class, but certainly not a 501. I want to acknowledge that each of your programs have gone through multiple years and growth, and that's what makes it so compelling to me. I mean, you've each had success in different ways. And of course, Corey, we go a long way back, and I have to say that Ryan knows this from the first leadership institute to where the program is now. It's a lot different and it's grown quite a bit. So uh, I wanted to give you guys a chance to maybe highlight some of the growth that you've seen um, just very briefly. Yeah, I think I'm happy to jump in there because um, as you just touched on the leadership institute and now Forefront has gone recently through a major change, but I think over its life, um, I was first involved in helping with some of the marketing and creating, um, helping Phoenix with their leadership institute in the first year in 2015. And the fascinating part 
about the Leadership Institute, but also these other programs that Ryan and Kavitha have talked about today, is you can see the evolution of leadership training within the leadership development program, right? We are inherently creating more and better leaders by giving our professionals an opportunity and a place to test, practice, um, engage in collaboration, whether it's in their local community or across the nation. And I think it's evident in the maturity of these programs and the longevity that they've shown over time. And I think that like in and of itself, that's remarkable because not only are we able to serve um, in a variety of capacity, you know, obviously we reach, we've reached up to 600 people in attendance in one year. So even just the growth of numbers of attendees, But even the number of people from Ryan and Janine who have had a hand in the Leadership Institute and now Forefront, I think, is evident enough that this is producing great outcomes for our profession and equipping AIA members and attendees from the early career to fellowship with the right skill set that they need to be better leaders in their practice and in their communities. And so, you know, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the the profitability, but I think pure growth in leadership programs across the country because of these three as examples and, you know, inspiring people to go out and build their own leadership program is proof enough of how, how much impact these programs have. And I want to go to Ryan next because I think his example is really compelling because it started in an AIA component and then jumped to another one. There, I think, Ryan, you'll have to tell the story, but I think, th- is it true they came to you and they were asking you about how to adapt it to their chapter? Yeah, so our, our the, the growth of the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program is, is it's fun. I, I, don't need, I don't know if it's unique even, but it's, it's fun. So part of it is because D.C. is such a transient city. Like, nobody wants to live in D.C. for very long. So unfortunately, I'm here. I'm a lifer now. You make it over five years and, and you become like a lifer as that, you know, so like anybody that's like been here for that long, they feel that much more connected to the place. So many people leave, they go back to home, they go, they follow where their spouses, yeah, Corey, right? I mean, Janine, right? Three, three of the people here, you know, lived in, lived in DC for a period of time. But so one of our alumni from the second class moved to Denver and she said, the AIA program, the AIA chapter here doesn't have a leadership development program. And I think the Christopher Kelly leadership development program would be great in Denver. And we said, okay, great. Uh, let's, you know, open our folder and kind of share what we have with you. But it's like literally like off my hard drive. And, you know, we're just, we're helping her have those conversations with the, the folks in AIA locally. So the first step was an alumni. Then Detroit reached out. Well, it happens to be that, you know, I took a new job with Quinn Evans. We have an office in Detroit. They hear about the program. They say, we want that as well. So it's not an alumni, but it's a connection. And then Indiana was just like, we heard about the program. We want it. Albuquerque was, we heard about the program. We want it. Miami was, we heard about the program. We want it. Houston's an alumni. Atlanta's an alumni. So we now have eight programs throughout the country. uh, And it's, it's literally like one, two, in, in one case, it was three started in the same year. That was kind of a lot to handle. Um, but it's like one or two every year just continue to kind of organically uh, develop. And we, you know, so long as you keep the name and the branding, it helps. I mean, it helps everybody. 
and the curriculum being that it, it is this kind of 201 level. It's firm leadership, it's institute leadership, and it's civic leadership, then you can make that work for how it needs to in your regional chapter. You know, so if there's more social issues, there's more environmental issues that you want to get into from a leadership standpoint, there's flexibility in the curriculum to make that happen. Kavitha, what's really cool about what you're doing is it's a locally, and it's like very grassroots to the city, which is not a tiny city at that. It's, you know, one of the world's leading cities. So you guys have taken a really um, strategic approach to make it very customized to your local community. And there's a huge emphasis on civic engagement, which I love about your program. So tell us more about that growth. So I think um, we haven't had the kind of regional growth or, you know, uh, monumental growth in numbers as the other programs that Ryan and Corey are working on. I think, uh, you know, when a lot of people don't leave New York, they come here and they just stay forever. Maybe that's our issue. I have to get them, you know, just chase them away or something to different cities. But part of it is because these issues just feel so relevant every single minute here, as I think they would in most, in many places. So ideally we would love to have this program replicated elsewhere and we'd be happy to help other chapters start it really do think it's a model that could work anywhere. It's it's really about, um, and I know we'll get into this more later, but it's about having the firms where these, or or some people work for city agencies, like wherever they work, having that support to lend to the folks doing the program, because ours is a huge time commitment. It's, it's kind of like going to night school or something like that. It's really a lot of time. Um, we usually tell them it's a certain amount of time, and then we add things on just to shake it up a bit, team building sessions and workshops and things that we just find interesting. So we're like, all right, everybody, you know, next Saturday, we're going to try to do this. And and we just do it because everyone is usually quite interested in it. Um, it's a pandemic that helps. So they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So we've got their attention. Uh, but we would love to, we would love to grow it in ways that we can replicate it um, in other chapters. It's been really great to hear about all of your growth stories, but it's also equally interesting to hear how they all came into conception, right? They were all started by who we identify as emerging professionals. So those that are on the younger side of the spectrum relative to the industry right now. My question for all of you is a bit twofold. I know you talked a little bit about why you think it is the emerging professionals starting up these programs, but why is leadership development so important for the next generation? And the follow-up would be, why are they not getting that in their firms right now? I mean, I can jump in on that one. I, I think, um, as I mentioned, it was started by the Emerging New York Architects Committee, but it soon became taken on as a chapter program. And we have expanded our language a little bit to allow for people that are sort of mid-career to be part of it as well. We don't think just the emerging professionals, but if you think about the career of an architect in many cases, you are doing these incredible things when you're in school, I think, these projects that are just saving the world or coming up with a plan for something that is a project you're probably likely never going to work on, a cultural project of some kind that maybe you'll never get. So you go into the office and you have all these big ideas and suddenly you're relegated to drawing details of, of uh, you know, elevations of bathrooms or something like that. I'm not saying that the folks in our program are necessarily doing that, but you do see that in many firms, the structure is such that they don't get the opportunities to explore these ideas that they're just 
bursting to explore. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I think there's definitely a new thought process in terms of what is leadership and what is the definition of an architect, which is really different from when I went to architecture school many years ago when everyone scoffed at anyone who was not a traditional architect and didn't focus solely on design. Um, and I always kind of fought that model and thought, you know, we can be anything we want. This education is incredible, right? You know, this background lends itself to so many things. So I think I think that's part of it. And I think that's why I think there's an appetite in the the younger emerging professionals for something like this. And I would I think that's the same with with Ryan and Corey's programs as well. Anita, you mentioned so many things that I was going to touch on. So um, very important, but I there's a few others that I would love to hit on and add to that is primarily having my experience and having worked with um, emerging professionals throughout my volunteer leadership within the AIA, specifically as the chair of the National Associates Committee, when we would ask or talk with different um, component leaders about trying to get emerging professionals involved, what are they looking for? What are they seeking? And it's not necessarily a title or a position or a seat on a board. It's action. They want to get their hands dirty, create something, take those big ideas from school that they feel like is missing from the profession and put it into action and really serve um, either their peers or learn from one another or their communities. And so I think that's why you see so many of these programs crop up by emerging professionals. They're yearning to create something um, and learn too. I think take on the ownership of educating themselves to really become the professional that they feel is the architect they want to be. I can't agree more with the evolution of what the role of the architect is. I think we're we're seeing that rapidly change, at least in the in my mind and in um, you know the role we can contribute to society. It's becoming, I think, much more of a, a a conversation about like where really should we be, who should we be listening to, who should we be collaborating with, and so I think that's a big part of it. And then I think the other piece for me that's really important and why it's so important for next generation leaders is leadership is not something that is just born with you. Leadership is a learned skill. And I think for too long, we've put it on the back burner of our businesses, of our firms, of um, anything that we set out to do as architects. And it is something that can be learned. There's research, there are classes, there is training. You can always be a better leader. And if I've learned anything, it's that you have to want to be a better leader as well. And our, you know, as our practice becomes more complex, as our projects become more complex, as our societal issues become more complex, we need those skills and we need the training to be the best leaders that we can be because it's not just going to happen or come to us. Yeah, all, all very good points, Corey, um, right on. And so I, I would certainly echo those. The, the, the only thing I might add is I feel that our generation and certainly the next generation, there's this eagerness to want to have action now. And the profession for way too long has been, you're a leader if you're an old white male. And if you are the strongest and loudest voice in the room, then you are the leader. And that's just not the way it is anymore. It has changed. It's going to continue to change. 
And as we understand our own personalities and how we're supposed to be working with one another in our own demographic, as well as up and down that generational ladder and across different genders and races and different biases that we may have, like that is changing literally as we speak, right? And it started a decade ago when we had our last recession, when the AIA realized like, oh, wow, we have this generation that we're going to lose because of this recession. And we need to, we need to implement these leadership development training efforts and it can be learned and we have the resources to provide them. And it's only, it's only become more of a snowball effect at the moment because it's not so much like, oh, let me sit back and, you know, follow my steps up the ladder, whether it's the corporate ladder or the AIA ladder. It's like, no, I'm just going to start the program myself. I love this conversation so much, like underscore so much. I, I just, I, you guys are touching on so many great points that are important. I wanted to open up the conversation to allow you guys to talk about and frame for our listeners. What are the leadership skills that architects are most typically missing or what you see missing in an architectural studio environment? Can you set those up for us so that we understand what we're talking about? I'll jump in first here. Just, I mean, with, with, with my, my background in NAB, I, I, I can't remember how many schools I've been to now, but it's been 13 or 14 years that I've been involved with the NAB. So from an accrediting standpoint for, for the accrediting um, board, it's a challenge because everybody wants to add to the curriculum. We need to be taught this more and more and more. We need this. We need that. We need business. We need computer skills. We need community workshops. We need leadership. We need all of it. But then we don't want to have to spend too, any more time in school. We don't want to have to pay for school, right? So there's like, there's this constant like ebb and flow back and forth. So I don't know how we solve it, but I will say that the, the, the lack from a leadership standpoint in architectural education, I think as an immediate graduate, I'm feeling one thing. And then as someone who's 10, 15 years out now, I feel differently about it. And I think at this point, it's a better reflection that the lack of leadership is as much about listening and facilitating conversations because so many of my colleagues aren't able to do that. And honestly, I think a lot of the, the efforts that I've had with AIA has helped supplement that education. But, you know, having the, like, it, you know, doing public speaking and not just like a public, like a theater class, like legit, like public speaking in, in school, like it, it, it goes beyond like standing in front of your work in a critique. It is like theatrical so that you can actually win an interview. Because if you're just standing in front of your work for an interview, you sound dull. And it's only been reinforced even more so now that we're all virtual, right? And it's that much harder to connect with somebody across the table um, when, you, when it's that, you're not reading the body language and things of that nature. So um, if there was just one thing I would, I would kind of really harp on it, it gets to the communications, public speaking, how to speak with your colleagues, with your consultants, how not to make them feel uncomfortable about certain things, even if you're kind of heated about them in a, in a particular manner. Um, and a lot of it comes with time, but I think that a lot of that can also be learned at an earlier stage. Yeah, I think our, um, I mean, a couple of things I've noticed about our, the program is that the people that come into our program are already leaders, right? They don't may not really recognize it, but just the fact that they take these initiatives to do this in incredibly intense application and to go into depth and tell us so much about themselves. And then they come in and they're like, okay, let me learn how to be a leader. And I was like, okay, you know, I just play along with them. Cause I'm like, you guys are totally leaders. They just don't, 
sometimes feel like they have the agency to express that or to follow through with the things they're already doing. Um, and I think it was something that uh, Corey said early on about just continually learning. And I think that's the height of leadership is always kind of taking in those ideas and trying to figure out respectfully, you know, how do we take that and make a, a, a better collaboration or a, a, you know, a better project down the road. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I've seen. So we had that first class come through and they were like, well, you know, you made us do all this stuff and we put on all these programs, and we did all this research and we reached out to all these people, but we didn't really learn how to do any of that. And, I, and we were all like, well, you just did all of it. Um, but then we realized they wanted some more kind of hard skill, soft skill training, you know? So we added a little bit more of that, that formal training aspect to it just for the sake of comfort. And because we saw like sometimes there was issues with, with people expressing their ideas or trying to, you know, be more dynamic in the, the pair or the group that they were working with. So things like that, I think you're right. You can completely learn those and you continue to learn them. And um, I think a lot of the people in our program too, I talk a lot about introverts and extroverts and, you know, I'm such an introvert and, but when I'm passionate about something, I can't stop talking about it. Right. So I think all of them are kind of in that way, the same, um, that when you have knowledge or interest or passion about something, you can go to that umpteenth degree and do all the research and find the time to do it, even when you have no time. Yeah, as I mentioned, um, I think it was two summers ago, um, the AIA issued a survey to its membership and asked what skills they felt that they were lacking in leadership. And um, conflict resolution, negotiation, succession planning um, all rose to the top in, in large percentages. And I don't have the, the data in front of me, but it was eye-opening to say, like, why isn't this, why isn't this happening? Or where are architects supposed to go? And, um, you know, we really questioned as the Center for Leadership within the AIA, like, shouldn't we be trying to offer that? And so, we looked at what those topics were and started to think about how we might be able to fill some of those gaps in Forefront. Um, and, you know, I think there's a multitude of resources out there for getting those tangible skills in some of these um, more business-centered topics, such as conflict resolution and negotiation. Um, but I think that overall, we're seeing that you know, leadership is all of these things. And it's really important that an architect um, has the skill set to do that. The only negotiation you're going to do is not just for your job, right? You have to negotiate contracts, you have to negotiate for your value. And if we can't do that well, then, you know, we lose relevance, I think, as a profession. So it's important that we all are equipped with that skill. And as Ryan mentioned, um, which I think is such a great, great point, our perception of what a leader is, is changing. And so, you know, I think there's, I'm seeing a need and a desire for learning more about empathy and emotional intelligence and how, you know, there is no singular vision and of what a leader is. You can be introverted and be a great leader. You can be extroverted and be a great leader. There is no definition or boundaries to what that is. You just have to have the passion and the desire and so I think that um, 
what we're trying to do at Forefront is really tell these stories of leadership, of personal leadership and say, hey, you can go do this too. You don't have to be a certain type of person or have all of these experiences or, you know, whatever it may be. Our goal is really to break down the barriers and have people walk away from that day and be like, oh my gosh, I can go do this thing that really has an impact regardless of how big or small you might feel it is, it's truly making a difference. And so I think, um, you know, opening up the definition and I I love what your program is doing for the civic leadership in New York. And it's just like, I I think we need more of that. I would love to see that. I'm like, how can I expand that in Chicago? Because we definitely, um, like it's such an important skill set, I think, for architects to be equipped with if our communities are our clients. This conversation is getting me really excited. And I do see a trend of knowing and learning soft skills becoming increasingly important, not only in architecture firms, but in the way all industries are are, are growing and, and evolving, especially in light of COVID. I wanted to riff a little bit Kavitha off of what you said about agency and Ryan also allude to a conversation we had a long time ago. Um, first of all, that if anyone is really interested in getting involved in these type of programs, getting involved in any community or organization is really a great way to begin to build those soft skills. And I say that because Ryan, you and I had a previous conversation about how your firm saw the value of being engaged in the AIA and the outcome of leading those committees have ultimately really helped you develop some of those skills that have also played out in the development of the Christopher Kelly Leadership Program. It's also been interesting to hear about the evolution of these programs. And Ryan, you mentioned this a little bit as did Kavitha and Corey, but in light of COVID and our ability to get out into our cities right now, what are the tweaks you are making now to add to the programs and make it more robust? Or what are you seeing going away because of it? Um, For us, one of the unfortunate things is we haven't all been able to meet in person. We haven't met some of the new leaders yet (laughs) physically. So that's, it's really odd, but we feel like we know each other so well, even on the digital platform, Um, we pivoted we were in the process of having info sessions when COVID hit, right? So, and we were about to select the class. We were just doing a call for applications and we have to decide really quickly, are we going to do this program or not? And our uh, advisors who had signed on are like, absolutely, you know, we can do this. And I think what's nice is we've been able, you know, we've definitely had um, the downside of it, but on the up, on the upside, um, we've been able to open it up to more people and speakers from across the country, potentially, you know, around the world, if the time, if the time zones work out. So we've been able to do that. We've been looking at ways to expand the program in that way with people who can be part of the public, um, you know, attend the public events and things. We don't have those physical limitations of, we typically would meet in one of the rooms at the Center for Architecture in New York City and we were physically limited to X number of people in the room for the development sessions. And now we can actually open up our development sessions to not just this year's class, but all of the alumni um, as well, which is really nice. So they can kind of see what we're doing and, and hear the, the latest ideas and trends and topics that this class wants to talk about. And they were so greatly influenced by COVID hitting just as they were writing their applications and all the inequities that came to the surface as 
as a result of that. So I think, you know, in that way, it's, it's expanded kind of our, our thinking about it. And I do think even if everything goes back to what was normal before this, we may um, keep this not fully virtual format, but add an element of that into it so that we can, we can have that broader audience. Yeah, and so on, on the Christopher Kelly leadership development front, um, so DC's in its eighth year now, I think, and COVID really kind of threw everything for a bit of a spin. Um, the eight programs that we have throughout the country, we try and meet quarterly as just to kind of share ideas and make sure that, you know, best practices are happening. And, um, but this year in particular, it's, it's been almost more of a strategy effort to say like, and everything's been on the school year calendar. So like start in September, end in May, uh, take the summers off essentially. And so the same issues that all the schools had in the spring, we had, it was like, all right, well, I guess we're all virtual now and maybe we're not having a closing reception. Uh, we'll just postpone it. And then it became, well, how are we preparing for 2021 for the next class? And it literally varied by city and by region based on any given week on what their COVID you know, rates were. And if it was a hot city or a cold city, and then, you know, a month later it changed. And so right now I know that one of the programs has started. Um, but when we last spoke, like four of them were supposed to start in September or October. And I think most of them are going to start a few months late, you know, kind of beginning of 2021. It's definitely a hybrid um, system uh, for, for this next year, uh, which I think is good because I think, you know, as technology is, is here and it's no longer this, it's not like a dial up connection we're dealing with. We still have technical issues that we deal with. Right. But like from a speaker standpoint, like being virtual allows you to tap into so many more resources at a much lower cost. I mean, you might have to pay someone for an honorarium, but you don't have to pay for flight and hotel. And so it's, it's that much easier to have really good, really good uh, engaging speakers. Um, We've always been questioned with the number of 16, you know, why only 16 and the 16 works out well for the eight sessions and the pairing. It also works really well from a group dynamic standpoint. You can share a lot with those 16 individuals that you feel comfortable. And I mean, at the, at the end of the year, everybody's like, this is like, you guys are my family. And they, they continue on, they meet up after, you know, you know, they have like anniversaries essentially and the kids start coming and so on and so forth. Um, and once you broaden that out and you start to make it 25 or you start to make it 32 or 60 or 100, the group dynamics become much more different. And one of the things that every alumni will mention about the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program is that when you're in it, it's so engaging that like the leadership skills that you learn are hands on and you it's really hard to mimic. And that's why I think a number of the programs have been struggling. I'm like, well, how can we mimic this in-person environment? virtually. You know, the breakout rooms help, but they're not quite the same. Um, so ultimately, I think we will probably have a hybrid system um, moving forward. This year is, is going to be, you know, a, a, a bit more um, probably virtual than, than in person uh, to continue sharing those leadership skills and, and knowledge. Um, but it's all good for the long run. So our program is a one-day event, and it has not happened yet. So I actually have no idea how this is going to impact it. I'm hoping that it is positive because we were already set up to run in a virtual environment, and I'm hoping that we'll see an increase in attendees because of that. Um, 
So it's hard to say right now, but if I had to guess and hope what it looks like down the road, I would hope that we would be able to uh, produce more leadership training from the AIA throughout the year, possibly using these techniques and these models, knowing that the world is just more comfortable on um, a virtual environment now than ever before. So I hope that maybe there can be some more continuous training that occurs um, in the future. So I guess one one closing idea, I really want us to be able to convey to firm owners and firm leaders the importance of um, it's not just about uh, leadership skills for themselves as, as management of the company, but it's also about overall leadership for the entire organization and, and all of the people that are trying to support the firm. So I'm wondering... What role do you think that architecture firms have in training leadership skills in practice? And also, how can firms help to advance those conversations? I guess I can take this one and I'm going to go into it in a very personal way, because I think just as I was recognizing leadership skills in myself and um, in the profession, it's the same time that I, you know, had my daughter and I was trying to work and take care of her and take her to daycare and run around. And my boss at the time was like, you know, go to the AIA, make sure you join these chapters, take leadership. I was like, how in the world am I going to have time for that and do my job? Because I think the expectation then was just, you do this on your time. Um, We know that there's value to the firm but somehow you have to make it work. And that's something I want to put out there as, you know, someone who's a woman, a person of color, somebody who's raised a child in this profession. It is very difficult to pull off all of those things. And so uh, I will say that at some point, I actually uh, was not a member. When I went off to work on my own, I actually decided that AI membership, you know, wasn't doing anything for me. I'm going to leave. And um that's the honest truth. And I, when I went back, it was because I realized there were opportunities there that I didn't see in the past. And there were, you know, ways that I could get engaged and change the whole process. So on the firm side, I just think that for leadership to recognize that not everyone's in the same position and doesn't have the same amount of time and to value the time they spend. We actually have a letter that we have firm leadership sign on behalf of all our applicants that they okay the time that they're going to be, that they recognize that this is going to be a big time commitment. It's going to eat into a bunch of Friday afternoons and evenings, times that they won't be able to spend, you know, on, on potential deadlines and things, and that there's a commitment there. So we recognize that after the first year that, you know, we had to do that because we want them to also recognize that at the end of this program, you know, these people have just created this amazing network. Uh, for themselves, of not just their classmates and their advisors, but all of the speakers they reached out to, all of the chapter leadership, all of these other people that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So that value is, you know, is huge to the firm. So I think that recognition is really important. I couldn't agree more with that. And I have a, a personal perspective and I think a professional perspective for the role of architecture firms in training and recognizing leadership skills. For me personally, the trajectory of my career changed when I got involved in AIA leadership as a volunteer. And I say that because the hole that I felt in practice was filled 
by an organization that allowed me to stretch and hone the skills that truly made me the best architect that I could be. And it wasn't drawing. It wasn't traditional design. It was facilitation and collaboration and bringing groups of people with very diverse thoughts and backgrounds together and creating consensus. And that's a really important skill set for organizations and firms to employ because it helps create consensus on projects when you have a lot of diverse client perspectives in a room. And so without my leadership involvement and committee work and the support of my firms, I may not have realized the path that I'm currently on as an architect. And that's about fulfillment, right? It's about making sure that we are bringing the best of our employees to our office every single day and allowing them to come to work as a whole person. And so I think from a personal perspective, it's obviously very important that architecture firms facilitate that and allow their employees to grow in ways that are meaningful, both personally, but also professionally and for the business. With that said, Firms don't have to take that on themselves. They can look to their AIA chapters at a local level, at a national level. Um, They can look to chambers of commerce. They can look to leadership development programs within their own cities. I know Denver has a really fabulous downtown Denver partnership leadership program that is really great in training leaders from all sectors, not just architecture, that I think is really beneficial for architecture professionals to be interacting with and building relationships with. So while we often see really formal training programs from larger firms because they have the resources to do that, I think it's imperative that sizes focus on equipping their team members to get the leadership training that is going to make them the best employees possible. And the reason that's important is because we are seeing automation in our profession at a rapid pace. We don't need people doing some of the drafting tasks that used to be the majority of their day. What we are best at is our problem solving, our critical thinking. That's what our architectural schools teach us. That's what we are needed to do in our day-to-day jobs. And we need to, I think, in a way, free people up to have the skill set to allow them to use that critical thinking and the design thinking that is involved in creating the best solutions possible because no firm is going to work, win work on how many people have drafted the, a certain amount of hours, right? We're now winning work because you can think outside the box. You can come up with solutions that other people haven't come up with and you need leadership in order to do that. And you need it at every level because the more work you win, the more people that are going to have their hands on it. And so I think that making sure everybody has access to that training really sets you up for success, both on your individual project teams, but in the long term, um, as you start to move through people through your pipeline. So I think the key role that architecture firms have is that those in leadership positions need to be able to let go of the reins. They need to be able to hand them down to the next generation and, and pull, you know, pull them up, like help support them. Don't just be like, all right, it's all yours, but give them pointers give them lessons learned, give them best practices to help them through that process. And not everybody in a leadership position has the personality for that. At least the folks that I've come across, they don't have the personality for that. They don't have 
the, the, the foresight to, to share that information, they hold it back a little bit more. So I think as a profession, we've failed pretty well over the years because it's been this kind of top-down approach. And I think as generations are, are coming about here, you're seeing more of a hand-down approach to help support that. Um, and, and similarly, you know, how, how does it help advance these conversations? Back to what Evelyn was mentioning a little bit previously, my involvement with the AIA, I've always been questioned, what do you get out of it? Like, how, why do you put so much time into it? And what's the value, of, especially from like small firm owners that are like, that's 40 hours, you know, that's 20 hours this week, it's eight hours, you know, for the day. And I need, I need to be billing that time to the clients. Like it, it's a big hit on our, you know, end, end of the month invoicing. And you're off at another committee meeting or something of that nature. And I always had a challenge answering that until this year. And this year, I, I came into a, a more a, appropriate role in my office. I'm not on Reddit. I don't do the drawings. I, you see them. I can put a set together like nobody else. But my main position in my office now is working with the client relations and facilitating conversations with the multiple stakeholders. And when you look just conceptually at this, it's like, can you, how can you bring consensus to a group of individuals of 25, of 32 different individuals? 50 different individuals all in the same room that are coming from totally different perspectives. And I'm like, I do this all the time with AIA, right? Like we all have, we've had to, and they're different personalities or different backgrounds or different expertises that they're coming to the table with. And now you put it into a, okay, now we're building a client perspective. It's the maintenance per person, operations, the designer, the engineer, um, the, the design review board, all of these different stakeholders that are all involved, the contractor that are all involved in the project, they're all in the room and they're all there for their one thing. I got to make sure I, I make my point, but I'm able to help facilitate that conversation where everybody, everybody leaves. It's, it's negotiation as well, Corey, right? Like it's negotiating that, th those conversations and I, we're able to leave. Everybody feels like they won. So of course my office is like, you're not doing Revit anymore. Like you're, this is your role. And so much of that has come through my involvement at, with my volunteer effort through AIA, um, which I'm incredibly thankful for. So if there's anything that firms can do, it would be actually to like support that effort, right? Send your uh, staff to these leadership development programs. Give them the opportunity to learn more, to spread their wings, to get in front of your 16 friends now, your, your 16 family members, and like totally blow the presentation. That's it's better to blow it there than it is in front of the, in, in front of your future client when you're interviewing. So those are the opportunities I think that exist that firm owners and firm leaders have the opportunity to to further support. You mentioned at the top of the episode that you had a different perspective about leadership from when you were first entering the profession to where you are now. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what that means? Sure. So when I first entered the profession, I think like most, you know, bright eyed folks, I looked at what leadership was. I, I looked at it as, you know, the old white guy at the at the top of the, the corporate ladder. Like that was what I thought leadership was until I started to understand that it was so much more than that. Um, and I think until I had numerous work experiences where essentially the boss and I've been in a line. It's not that we disagree, but it's just like, there's other ways to do that. And I learned about the importance of understanding your own personality so that you can understand other people's personalities, you know, your own strengths so that you can, you can work with your colleagues to have empathy for other people. Like there's a lot of things, especially now, like just this week, 
right? But like, there's so many things going on in the world that it's not always about the project. It's not always about the work at hand or the conversation at hand. And one of my colleagues had said when I was leaving one of my previous offices that, you know, one of the things that I, I'm going to miss most about you is that you honestly always ask me how my day was in the morning. Like we had like a 30 second conversation and that meant so much to her. And it wasn't like I tried to do it. It was just something that like I wanted to be able to have that connection with that colleague. We weren't working directly on projects with each other. And it was something that she, she knew she was going to miss not having that moving forward. And so out of school, I didn't realize that. But as I moved on in the profession, I realized that this is really what leadership is, is more about. After listening to this conversation and from the, you know, your knowledge to now, what are your closing thoughts that you could leave with our audience on this topic? If I could sum this up, when I left school and came into the profession, I saw the definition of a leader being a singular designer who held all of the ideas. And I have now learned that the power is in the collective and to give each person the agency to collaborate and come up with a solution so that we all contribute um, is now my new definition of leadership. It's not about what I come up with individually. It's about how we collectively as a firm, as a community, as a profession can come up with creative solutions that truly try to try and accomplish um, solving some of our biggest issues. Yeah, I think um, for me, it was seeing that kind of traditional model of leadership, but never really quite jiving with it in school or in the workplace. Um, I think I had experiences at school where I'd see in studio people just kind of porting over their designs and being super competitive and all this stuff. And I was always that person that was labeled as like really nice. Like, I don't know why, like that was bad, but I was just like, well, why don't we just like kind of share some ideas and, you know, collaborate on something and maybe we can do something better. And, you know, these things were so strange, I think, to say in some of these environments that they were, they were taken as um, like recognized as weakness, I think in some ways. And now I'm so thrilled that they're seen as a different type of leadership, a leadership that actually allows people to grow that actually encourages them to grow. And I think that's that's all leadership is, is just like recognizing that everyone has that power, that agency and that, you know, knowledge of their own and, you know, letting them run with it and fail. And that was an important thing that I think Brian mentioned before and that we don't really, I think the first time I was allowed to do a lot of things in architecture in my uh, workplace and take chances, I was terrified. I was like, well, what do you mean? You want me to run this project? Like, what you know and um so I did it and I made mistakes and I was terrified and I just like owned up to my mistakes and then I had somebody in charge who was just like okay let's deal with it and I was like wow it's mind-blowing you know the capability of being allowed to fail and learn to me was incredible and I think it's not valued enough because when you fail at something you never forget it right that's something that's like ingrained in you I'm never going to make that mistake again. I'm going to really like triple check that next time. Um, Whereas when someone's just telling you, oh yeah, do it like this, you don't really get it, you know? So that was something that I I, I think I've learned over the years and I really valued was given, uh, being given the chance to fail and also being given the opportunity to own up to it and, and not be like, you know, punished for it. Just said, okay, just let's move on. So closing thoughts, 
to leave with the audience members, uh, leadership can be learned. Don't feel like you need to be born into it. You don't need to be a type A, you know, out, outgoing person. You can learn leadership skills. Uh, my biggest piece of advice the past few years has always been find your, your passion. Um, if you're passionate about something, if you wake up on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and you're like, this is what I want to be doing, then that's your passion. It's not, this is what I have to do to pay the, to pay the bills Monday through Friday. But what you find yourself doing in the, in the late hours of, of the evening, find that passion and don't let it go. Like follow it because the more that you put into it, it becomes a, it becomes a snowball effect, right? It, it becomes more than what you, you had imagined. You know, my passion and leadership started with this program locally and it has grown exponentially. You know, I can't even do the calculus on it now with how many scholars are in and alumni and speakers and AIA continuing education credits. It's great. It's exponential. And I didn't have that foresight when I started the program, uh, but I'm so fortunate that that's what it's become. So one of the biggest things I would like to mention is that all three of these programs are AIA programs. And frankly, it's just due to the network that Janine and I have established over the years. But they are not the only programs available out there where people can gain additional leadership skills. There are several other opportunities that were mentioned by the panel themselves. So you could look to your local community, your chamber of commerce. For example, there's Leadership SF in um, San Francisco. There's a lot of colleges and related certificate or extension programs that they offer right now for leadership development. And then there's other organizations that you can, you may be participating in that might have some leadership training. And there are consultants like Janine and her work with Apostrophe Consulting, where you can bring the, the work that she does actually for leadership development in-house at your own firm. So one of the things I didn't realize, or maybe I knew this passively, but did not necessarily put two and two together, was that all the programs that we interviewed today were started by emerging professionals. And it was mostly out of a need, right? They couldn't find the programming that they were looking for, even within the organization, so within the AIA. So they went out and built them. To your point, Evelyn, that demonstrates to me that there really is a need in the industry. If emerging leaders are stepping forward and creating programs, they're saying, this is really important. And they're willing to go create it for themselves because they can't find it. But truthfully, it's not just coming from the EPs. There's also um, a mid-level to senior level group of leaders who also want leadership development. And for example, the Small Firm Exchange, which is another committee of the AIA, was very vocal in the last few years about wanting more leadership programs. And that resulted in one of their programs called the Leadership Academy, which is a long-form leadership program that is currently in its first year this year. And then in parallel to that, they did a ton, the small firm did a ton of research work and found that there were all these leadership programs all over the country affiliated with AIA. To the point of our guests, I just want to say that leadership development is not a one-time thing. It's something that individuals develop over their life. And the most important part is that it's not about other people. It's really about learning more about yourself and practicing the skills that you may be struggling with or weak on to get better at leading others. And as Ryan mentioned, he has had 
different viewpoints of what leadership means to him over the duration of his career. So when he was from first out of school to where he is today as a leader of a firm, and that's true for everyone. Everyone is continuing to develop these skills throughout the span of their career. And that's why everyone needs support from time to time, because they reassess their leadership skills at various points of when they need it and how they need it. Yes, I completely agree with that. I think one of the most important takeaways for me is that leadership can be learned. It's funny because we also we always talk about like, right, the natural born leaders. And there are definitely people that may contain what you feel is the quality of a natural born leader, but that doesn't mean that those skills can't be learned either. And it really is something that falls into a continual learning process, no matter where you are in your career. If you're fresh out of college, um, if you're mid-career, and even if, for instance, you step into the role of a principal as a firm, you're going to take on different or need different skills, different ways of doing things than you have in a past as, as a leader. So my path to leadership has really not only been influenced by my mentors in the profession, but also built upon their encouragement that continually pushes myself to the next level. So I've had the pleasure of working with past presidents and the current presidents of the American Institute of Architecture students on the national board. That position has also put me as equally close to the presidents of the AIA national board. And I think both groups have such unique perspective given on, given their experiences and what they bring to the table. But I've, but, but both groups, I've had so much to learn from each of the two groups and they continue to, to push my own thought process and how I, how I want to present myself as a leader going forward. But I think being able to engage with these individuals on both a personal and professional level have really helped me understand fully what I am capable of, but also where I, where I can change, right? And where I lack the knowledge are where I actually need to seek out additional research and resources for me to better understand their point of view and where they're coming from. And it's also influenced how I change and how I work with my people in my nine to five job and how I'm able to be, be a leader and show up in business as well. I think you make some really good points, Evelyn, that I just want to pick up on. When you start moving into different leadership roles, like when you finally become the licensed architect and you're leading the team, or when you finally get promoted and you're now a principal of a firm, you're going to be introduced to new challenges that require different leadership skills than the prior positions that you've had. So you're going to learn new things about yourself that you didn't know that were hard. And it's just a process of growing and perpetually kind of expanding your capability over time. So I think you make a really good point, Evelyn, that it's like this journey to like learn more and you seek out new ideas about how to lead and then you adapt it into the work that you're doing. But then you're going to meet a new challenge and you have to go to the next one and figure that one out too. Yeah, absolutely. I think I first became interested in leadership because of my desire to make a contribution in communities. And from what I've heard about millennial research, that's like a pretty common thing that millennials tend to want to know that they have a purpose and a role and they want to have meaning in their work. And that's certainly been true for me. So 
I, in my career, I've now, as I've grown, it's not even just about that. It's, I see it as my responsibility to grow as a leader and to find meaningful ways that I can contribute. And things that have helped me the most have been facing my fears, reaching out to friends and my support network when I'm struggling and just being honest. Like if something's hard, I try to be really honest with people and say that I'm struggling or I had a hard time with this so that I can always get feedback and and improve. And what's been very important to me is holding on to my own true north as a leader to guide me through really tough decisions so that I always am true to who I am as an individual. So the three programs highlighted here are all being built and developed outside the firm structure. They just happen to be within the AIA structure. But Janine, in your work for Apostrophe Consulting, you're helping firms internally create leadership development training for not only their next generation leaders, but the incoming generation of leaders as well. So where do you see the biggest opportunities for firms to focus their programs in a way that not only develops their staff individually, but can also ultimately help drive their bottom line? Sure. And I think because I came out of the AIA and because I came out of the AIS, I always went into firms trying to create these opportunities internally for all the people that I was working with. And so I I noticed that I kept moving from firm to firm and was trying to recreate that experience inside a firm. And so it got me thinking that really it's a missed opportunity, especially when firms don't have any professional development supported programs or they're not talking about leadership development more widely. Um, our speakers mentioned that firms can leverage programs like the ones that they're all involved with to supplement their training for EPs. And I'd say, sure, but I'd like to introduce a different point of view on that. I think it's both. Support your EPs with external programs, but also take responsibility as the firm to introduce this type of support internally within a design studio environment. In the same way that architects learn to teach about building design through process, design development, and critique, I think similar conversations should be framed around issues of leadership, culture, and team development. You know, our speakers started to talk about those soft skills and the things that they felt like architects need to learn. And those conversations tend to happen in annual reviews. But I see this as a cultural thing that should be part of an ongoing micro learning conversation in every team and in every studio environment. Also, each designer needs help with developing their own leadership plan because, of course, we're all different and we're going to have different strengths. We're not all going to fit on the same leadership trajectory. And that attention to what makes a person unique is what leadership development's all about. You have to help people find their voice and the things that make them a strong leader because it's not all the same quantifiers, if that makes sense. It's not all the like what makes Elvalyn you a great leader is not the same as what makes Ryan McEnroe a great leader. So taking a tailored approach, and that takes time, but sitting down and really helping individuals roadmap and then build opportunities that respond to the specific skills that they need to work on. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten out of, and, and granted, I'm at a company that is over 2,000 people, which is considered a very large ar- architecture firm. 
But there's this extra emphasis placed on career pathing, right? And they are very intentional about developing a career path for those who want to go into a management role. But they're also equally intentional about developing a career path for for individual contributors. So these could be the knowledge leaders, this like the sustainability knowledge leaders that are, you know, constantly put on every single project in the office because of their unique expertise that they're bringing to the table. So this is something that I don't see being done at the firm level with as much intention. And then within Within that framework, I'm able to pick up bits and pieces to craft my own professional development program and and how and what areas I need to continue to to grow in order for me to move to the next rung on the ladder, if you were to say, that the company sees that they need from me to make that next step. It's a very logical progression. It's not necessarily a, a linear one because, like you said, different things make different great leaders. But it, but it does provide logic. And for people that are all, that always want to understand, you know, what are the small steps I can take to keep moving up rather than what is the big three to five year goal, I think it's kind of really helpful. So, so coming out of all of the work that you've been doing with your firm and kind of how your leadership has evolved over the last couple of years, what do you see as the biggest opportunities or or the biggest area for development that architects tend to be lacking in? I think they're right about the idea of the communication piece, because I think it's a series of skills within that larger bucket that most architects need to work on. There's a culture that we've come to accept in our industry that it's focused on communication around the design project and communicating and presenting work, but it's a lot less focused on the communication around people management. And so there's a variation of skills that are important for people to learn in order to manage people. People are not managed like specifications. You have to really be focused on a two-way discussion, empathy, the variables that make someone really unique um, in order to help people be successful in this industry. And oftentimes I see architects trying to manage people like hammering a nail into a wall. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like that's a pretty aggressive critique, but I do think that um, there's this factor of sometimes neglect, sometimes too harsh criticism, sometimes a lack of clarity on what is expected. And when we don't stop to have conversations that are a little bit more intentional and meaningful and slow down and really think about how people are receiving information so that they can fully receive it to execute the work they're doing, then we are ignoring some of the skills that are needed in order to do our best work. Right. And I think piggybacking off of what you said, the definition of what a leader is and what leadership is, right, I feel continues to evolve. I think the current paradigm is very much one that is more inclusive, right? Like I sense that the leader that everyone wants to have is the one that 
brings along the collective, listens to voices at all level on the spectrum, um, allows them to contribute and it makes decisions from there. I think in today's day and age too, with the pandemic, with now raging wildfires, with the necessity to talk about equity, um, not only in the profession, but society and racial justice, that good leaders are coming across as the most empathetic to everything that's going on too. There was a great article recently that came out about how Zoom's CEO responded to the recent outage on the East Coast when all the schools got on Zoom. And the mainly the thing he did is he called out his mistake and he he reinforced why Zoom is here to support the community and made a commitment to be better going forward. And while that seems like an easy thing to do, I've definitely seen architecture firms, leaders not communicating at that level, both internally and externally. So, so I think there's lessons that can be learned. And I think soft skills are extremely important right now with everything that's going on. I think you're right, Evelyn. I think the definition of leadership is evolving. And, you know, if you asked our grandparents, like their generation of what leadership was, I think it's more of, like you said, this assertive style leadership. And that assertive style leadership sometimes is the same leadership style we think of when we think of like a master architect or, you know, any star architect kind of mentality. But in today's business world, it's not the trend of how we see most of our well-known leaders showing up, the ones that I think are really successful in retaining people to work for them. They are more empathetic and collaborative and communicative in their leadership style. And I think that's a good place to end our conversation. Thank you for listening and tune in next week. Thanks for joining us on Practice Disrupted, a podcast by Practice of Architecture. Visit us at practicedisrupted.com to find out more about future episodes and the changing nature of practice. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can learn more about other podcasts in our community by visiting gablmedia.com. If you enjoy the show and want to hear more content like this, you can help us by leaving a rating, review, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to share with your friends and feel free to let us know what other topics or speakers you're interested in hearing about. Thanks for listening and see you next week.